My hope is in the Lord, who gave himself for me. Hi, I'm John Hemminghouse, speaking for the Beacon of Hope broadcast, the ministry of Calkins Baptist Church near Milanville, Pennsylvania. Have you ever prayed earnestly to God for a serious request, only to have him seemingly ignore you? Maybe this scenario fits your experience. You prayed about a serious request, and you prayed hard. However, no answer came. Maybe even worse, no explanation came. There may even be some of you who have had the experience of praying about a major issue going on in your life, and after you prayed seriously about it, the situation got even worse. To you, it may have seemed like God heard your request and insulted you by doing exactly the opposite of what you asked. How do you handle that? Let me give you another scenario. You have again had a huge burden on your heart, and so you decide to go to some religious people for help. Maybe you went to a church and found the people rude or totally self-focused and of no help. Or maybe you went directly to a member of the clergy, like a pastor or priest. Yet when you tried to share your concerns and get some answers, you found the person advising you totally unhelpful. Maybe you even sensed that he or she was not all that concerned about your problem. True-to-life situations like those I have just described are a major reason why our study in the life of Christ for today is so vital. For today, we'll examine a case in which a foreign woman came unto Christ and his disciples in a very inopportune time for them. Not surprisingly, she found Jesus' disciples unhelpful and unconcerned. But amazingly, at first our Lord himself ignored her and appeared to belittle her importance and even seemed to insult her. He did all this before ultimately granting her request. All of this leaves us with some serious questions. First, why did Jesus at first act so harshly towards this woman? Clearly he did not sin in this exchange, so he must have had a purpose behind his actions, but what was it? Secondly, what important lessons are behind this account for you and I today? I hope you'll listen as our pastor examines this incident from the life of Christ that he has entitled, God, Rescue My Child. Good morning. This is Pastor Lane Jones uh, from Calkins Baptist Church, and looking forward to this message today concerning uh, an incident in the life of Christ that I find fascinating. And uh, it's found in two different Gospels. The one I'm going to use primarily is in Matthew chapter 15 and verses uh, 21 down to verse 28. But there's also another parallel passage that deals with the same incident from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7 and verse uh, 24 down through verse 30. And so, uh, but if you are able to turn in your Bible this morning, I'd encourage you to turn to the Matthew passage, Matthew chapter 15, starting with verse 21, and we'll get started in just a moment. Let's, before we get started, let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the privilege of being able to study your word with those who will be listening this morning. Pray that you'll bless us as we look at the life of our Savior and we consider his actions and uh, what he was teaching us through this uh, very interesting and unusual incident. And so we ask for your help as we look at it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 15 and at verse uh, 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, 
It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Now, what would you do if you were the mother in this story? Your daughter is completely under the control of a demonic spirit. And uh, how this lady put it is that her daughter was severely demon-possessed. Can you imagine the horror and the chaos and the fear that would result from such a tragic circumstance? And uh, can you imagine living in a situation with a demon-possessed person? I'm very thankful that I have had very little direct contact with people who are showing signs of demonic possession, at least that I have been able to discern. And believe me, I'm not looking and trying to hunt those type of situations down. But what would it be like to live with a, with a, with a daughter or even with a son who is demon-possessed, and severely so? Well, a, a person that is demon-possessed, as you look in the scriptures, and even as you uh, find in, in other cases that um, have been courted, that you find that there's often very unusual and, and uh, radical actions that a person may take. They may uh, be involved in, in the um, uh, one account of a man who was severely demon-possessed. Uh, he was crying. He was cutting himself. He was running around himself. He was running around naked in the tombs. Uh, they were very violent to people in that area. There's actually more than one of them. They were um, in some ways hanging together. Uh, you can read that account in Mark chapter 5 if you wish to do so. And also in Luke chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 8, three of the four Gospels record uh, this um, uh, man, and, and actually there was two of them that were so severely uh, demonically possessed that they were not even able to live um, in normal society, at least for large periods of time. It also mentions in that particular passage, that that uh, Mark chapter 5, that <clears throat> the man could be bound with chains and would break them. He had superhuman strength. And, of course, how f- uh, fearful that would be. And one of the gospel writers records about those two men that, that people just didn't dare pass that direction because of what would happen to them um, and how they would be, uh, could be violently beaten or, or even possibly killed by these uh, violently demon-possessed people. Um, there are other situations where uh, a person may be um, thrown into, may, maybe they will try to self-destruct, with whether it be a cutting themselves, and that was a characteristic of, of those men as well. Um, again, crying out. Um, could be a situation where one father had a, a child that had a demon, and, and it was throwing him into the fire at times. It was at times throwing him into water, trying to kill him. Uh, horrific things can go on. So can you imagine living with a person like this? Maybe you don't know if your daughter's going to stay in bed at night because she might be out uh, doing who knows what. Uh, You don't even know possibly if she might try to do you violence. I don't know how old this girl was. So, uh, But uh, just a horrific and tragic circumstance that this mother was under. And uh, then, then you hear that Jesus, the rabbi who is known to be a miracle worker, has come to your area. And what would you do about that? 
well, maybe it will um, get better, you could possibly say to yourself. Maybe my girl will be okay. Or maybe it's just not a good time. Um, maybe there was a number of things going on in this woman's life, and, and, uh, and it just wasn't a good time for her to get away. Or maybe she said to herself, um, you know, I could. I, we've just started a new treatment. Maybe I've seen a new um, person that's trying to help me. Well, she didn't have any of those reactions. Uh, this woman uh, determines, I must get to Jesus of Nazareth. And it's interesting that when she shows up, she shows up at a very inconvenient time. Now, why do I say that? Because Mark and the other, uh, the other gospel writer that records this incident includes an important detail in chapter 7 and verse 24 of the gospel of Mark where he says this, And he, Jesus, entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. And the reason why Jesus couldn't be hidden was this woman who somehow found out about him and uh, showed up. Because the next verse of Mark chapter 7, verse 25 says, For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. Now, Jesus and his disciples, why are they um, trying to be hidden in this house? And, and let me just also give you another detail that might be important. It's, it's from our account in Matthew chapter 15. If you have that in front of you, look at verse 21 where it says, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, Tyre and Sidon are, are not in, in the nation of Israel. That's a foreign country. These are, these are cities from uh, countries that will be north of the, uh, the nation of Israel. So Jesus has actually left his homeland, and he's trying to obviously get away. Uh, and why might Jesus and his disciples do this? Well, you might say, well, maybe they needed some rest. And that certainly is, is very possible. Um, they've been going through a lot of uh, uh, trying circumstances. As a matter of fact, they've had some opposition from the religious leaders in Israel. Maybe they needed recharging. Maybe they just needed to get away from all the opposition for a little bit and to, and to uh, just uh, try to get a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, get your batteries recharged, so to speak. Or maybe, maybe they needed uh, time for Jesus to teach the, his disciples personally. You know, he's, that's a huge part of his ministry is training these uh, uh, 12 men. Of course, only 11 would, would truly be uh, saved and would go on and serve him. But uh, those 11 men are going to carry the gospel and to the world, and that's how we get it. So this is a huge part of his ministry as well, and maybe they needed some private time uh, away from all the crowds in order that Jesus might be able to explain some things of, of great importance to his disciples. So it was Jesus himself who was, who was entering into a house up in this foreign uh, region trying to uh, have some time uh, alone. And very possibly this time to teach his disciples and to even rest somewhat from all that they were going through. Now, it's also interesting that they are seeking to remain anonymous. They, they didn't want anybody to know that they were there. And so uh, this woman is a major threat to ruin that plan. And if you're like the disciples, now, sometimes we men can be this way. Your, your wife sends you on a mission, and, and, and to you it's like, okay, this is the plan. I've got to pick up 
thus and so. And so you go into the grocery store like it's um, you know your your own personal mission, and that's what you're in there. You get the sour cream for the uh, for the potatoes for the guests tonight. So you're in there, and you go in there, and you grab it, and you get out of there. Well, that that's the plan. You're following the plan. And this woman is messing up the plan that Jesus had given them. And that is that we're going to try to remain anonymous up here. We're going to get into a house. Hopefully no one will know where we're at. We don't want people to know we're around so we can have some time. And then shows up this irritating woman. And um, it says, <clears throat> verse 22, Behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him. Now, the fact that she's from Canaan is significant as well. Now we sometimes look at Canaan as the um, as like the promised land, and that was true. But there were people called Canaanites, and that's who she is. Um, and they were actually a, a people that was very ungodly. And God had told His people in Exodus chapter thirty-four, verse eleven and twelve that they were not to intermarry with these people. They really not have close relationships with them because they were so uh, pagan and were so godless in their behavior. And so these disciples have not understood yet that um, God is interested in working with all people. Um, they're very much thinking that the, the Jewish people are God's people and everybody else is just on the outside too bad. And so here this woman comes, and so she's from, she's a Canaanite. She's not one of the children of Israel. And she is yelling out. She's making a huge scene. Now imagine that you're trying, again, to get away, spend some time in private setting, and then this woman, who is oblivious to that plan, is just wrecking it. Now, uh, see the statement. Listen to this that she's saying about Jesus. Behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Now, what she is saying, she's calling Jesus the Lord, which is true. She is uh, yelling out and calling him the son of David, which means she believes that he's the Christ, which was also true. So she's saying true things. <clears throat> she's expressing a genuine faith. But when it says she cried out, listen to the definition of, of what that idea of cried out means in the original language, which was Greek. It means as um, speaking or demanding with a loud voice to call, to exclaim. How about this idea? The loud, inarticulate cries of demons and demonized people are also used in the same word. The idea of shrieking or screaming. It also carries the idea, and actually this is probably what it means here, urgent appeals for help. It's like when someone is yelling for your help. I've uh, been blessed and privileged, honestly, to, an, to visit nursing homes a number of times over the years of my ministry. But those of you that have gone to a nursing home, especially when they have um, in the same basic hall p people who are still with it mentally and, and those who are not, uh, sometimes you'll be walking down a hall and you'll hear someone yelling out, Somebody help me! And you know that they probably don't have all their senses, although that's not certain because you may not know that person. And I certainly have many times had this happen where I didn't know that person, but a nurse may have just come by and tried to say something to them, and yet they're yelling out repeatedly, somebody help me. And I'll just tell you this, it, it goes through you as a human being because your heart goes out to a person like that. You wish there was something you could do to help them, 
Well, that's the kind of picture that we're seeing painted here by, the, uh, by this incident in the life of Christ. This woman is yelling out to Christ, you've got to help me. Oh, Lord, thou son of David, I, I, have mercy on me. Help me. She's making a huge scene. She's come at a, uh, she is a foreigner, so she's got a huge gap between her and, and the people um, of the disciples of Jesus and Jesus himself. And, she, and yet she's got this huge need. Her daughter is severely demon-possessed. And it's interesting, she's not hiding that either. She's not, she's not saying, oh, Lord, have mercy on me. Come over here and I'll tell you what's going on. It's a really big problem. I don't want everybody else to know it. She doesn't do that. She is so concerned about getting help for her daughter that she is yelling out to anybody who wants to hear it, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. So, boy, she doesn't care too much about her reputation. No, I, I would say this, whether or not she cared about her reputation, here's what she really cared about more than anything else, and that was getting help for her daughter. If it meant frying her reputation in public, she didn't care. She wanted help for her daughter. And she would not stop crying out for Jesus' help. Again, Mark's account provides us with another detail that we don't read in Matthew. And that is, he says it this way, she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. She wouldn't take no for an answer. She is asking over and over and over again. you got to help me, Lord. you got to help me. My daughter's severely demon-possessed. Now, I want you to also think about these unconcerned disciples because they, quite frankly, were unconcerned about her. In verse 23, um, it, it says that he, Jesus, answered her not a word. Now, we'll come to that in a minute. But also in verse 23, it says, And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. They're on that mission trying to remain anonymous, trying to keep what Jesus had actually asked them to do. We're trying to keep quiet about where we're at, maybe some time for teaching and rest. And, and so the disciples are on that mission. But quite frankly, they had no compassion for this woman. They seemed to be following the Lord's lead in this, didn't they? Not because Jesus hasn't even said anything to her. They didn't have any compassion on her. They did not have the will to dismiss her themselves, though, either. It's kind of interesting. They actually said to Jesus, send her away. Now, did they try to send her away and she didn't listen to them? Well, that's possible. This woman was determined. She was going to get help for her, for her child. But So maybe they tried. Maybe they tried to say, listen, just leave us alone, please. I don't know. Or maybe... Let's hope it may have been this way, that they had a little bit of compassion going through their hearts. And so they didn't really want to do it themselves. So anyway, they turned to Jesus and they asked him to dismiss her. His disciples came and urged him, Oh Lord, please, please, would you send this woman away? She's ruining our cover. But I want you to think about this for a second. What if Jesus did just send her away? What then? What about the girl, the little daughter back there at home, whether she's a, a teenager, a young adult, whether she was a child, or just a little one? 
What about what about that girl? What about the mom? Are we just saying, uh, just Jesus, just send her away, let, let so we can keep our our, our plan to uh, stay out of uh, uh, of recognition? So let's just send her away, and 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 so we can get on with, with what we want to do. But what about the woman? And what about her daughter? Yeah, these are unconcerned disciples. Can I say that there have been many people over the years who have walked out on, on church, have walked out on God's people, and they've done it because they feel, and sometimes they're right, that, that the, the people down there at that church or the people uh, um, that I've come across as Christians at work or wherever, they really don't care about me. Maybe care about getting something from me. They may feel like they want my money. Uh, they want my volunteer efforts. But they really don't care about me. And, and they say, well, boy, if that's what Christian people are all about, well, I'm out of here. Can I just say this? <clears throat> God is working with sinful people. That's all he's got to work with. Other than Jesus Christ himself, none of us is what we ought to be. And yes, you can go out there and you can find what you feel is the nicest person in all the world, and I'll guarantee you that they've got their moments as well, whether they know Christ or not. But if you're going to walk away because Christian people are imperfect, well, guess what? The reality is that's who God has to work with, and just exactly when these disciples start following Jesus, we don't have this this beautiful ooh in the air, and they become holy people, and they never do anything wrong. It doesn't work that way. Here these guys are. These are going to be the apostles who send the gospel to the world. And by the way, they'll come to the place where they will lay down their lives for God and for people. So God will change them. He's in the process. But the process is a little messy, isn't it? And they're not perfect. And they don't have compassion for this woman like they ought to. And their big desire is to send her away. Get rid of her. I want you to also look, and this is the thing that I think is most shocking from this story, but it gives it, it really gives it the most power, is what looks like the unhelpful Savior. Notice how Jesus treats this woman. In verse 23, the first part of the verse, it says, He answered her not a word, which means he ignored her. Here she is, she's yelling over and over again, Lord, have mercy on me. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. And what does Jesus do? He keeps walking. He doesn't answer her a word. And she keeps following. By the way, I don't even know how she found out who Jesus was and where he was. Because, obviously, there's no pictures back then. There's no radio broadcast. Now, certainly, they, she could probably count the 12 disciples. Maybe that was a giveaway. But, but, and she heard that he was in the area. But this woman had to go out and search for Jesus and finally finds him. And then she comes running up. Lord, you got to help me. Have mercy on me. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. And the Lord is walking by like she didn't even say anything to him. He ignored her. Then, listen to what he says in verse 24 again. He answered and said, now this is to his disciples... But the woman may very well have heard this. I wouldn't be surprised at all. He answered and said, 
I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, he's in a non-Jewish area, and he's talking about the fact that his ministry is basically to the Jewish people. That's what he's saying. He's a Jewish man himself. He'll spend the vast majority of his life in the land of Israel. This is one of the few exceptions where he's out of it. And he's saying, this is my ministry. And, of course, <clears throat> the disciples themselves, that's a huge part of his ministry. He needs time with them. He, he doesn't want to be overwhelmed with people. He's certainly not showing a complete lack of concern for this woman. He is, he is basically saying, well, my, my priority and my, my whole focus of life is to the, the Jewish people, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, people that don't know me, don't know the Lord, in the nation of Israel. And, of course, his disciples, he's trying to minister to them so they can do that. So he's got a very us, important purpose that he's Beacon on. He's obviously not up here just to, you know, get back and play soccer for a little now, while. Now, back to the message. He's got a reason why he's up here, This and, and, and this woman is not really in that picture. But let's be honest. The first the response of Christ is to ignore her, and the second is he's deprioritizing her. He's basically saying, well, she's not as important as what I'm really up here to do. Of course, take it from Christ's perspective. If he heals this woman's daughter and it becomes public knowledge, whatever plans they had for teaching and for recharging and really getting ready for their next phase of ministry could go out the window because they're going to be overwhelmed with people showing up at their door wanting to be healed and etc. And so... Let's, let's not be, let, let, let's understand where Jesus and his disciples are at here. But quite honestly, if you're the woman, you feel ignored, you have been deprioritized, you've, been, you've had said about you, well, she, you know, she's not really what I'm focusing on. I'm focusing on the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But it gets even worse than that. Because listen to verse 26. I'll read 25 and 26 together. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. You can imagine this woman worship him, probably falling down at his feet in the dirt. And here this desperate mom is saying, Lord, help me. And Jesus finally answers her and listen to what he says. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, you have to understand something here. The, the Jewish people would be like the children's bread, the children's food. And the Jewish people of Jesus' day often referred to the Gentiles as dogs. Not in a good way. Don't think of your favorite pet and the loyal, um, you know, uh, uh, German shepherd that you have and helped raise your kids. Don't think of that type of dog. Think of the wild dogs that hunted in packs and, and were just uh, mangy and, and quite ugly and are, are not a good picture. Okay, Violent animal, dangerous animal. And the Jewish people often compared the Gentiles to dogs. They often, and again, there's, I'm not saying it's right. That's just the way it was in first century Israel. And Jesus seems to be using the same term about this woman. So again, if you're this woman and you've encountered Jesus now, 
he has first of all ignored you. Then he deprioritized you. He said, well, uh, I'm not sent for the soft lost sheep of, sheep of the house of Israel. And now he's insulted you. God's children are, are, the Jewish people are compared to God's children. She's compared to a dog. You see why I say this is such an unusual case from the life of Christ. But hold on. Before you uh, think that, that Jesus is some heartless, uh, cruel person, just keep, keep reading. Let me back up just a second and let's look at the woman again and think about this persistent parent, this woman, who is, is quite an example of faith and persistence. Let's, let's ask ourselves again, how did she find Jesus? Well, Mark, again, gives us a little hint in his account of this incident where it says this, For a woman whose daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. So obviously, she had heard what Jesus could do. How she heard about it? I don't know. It doesn't seem like, from the way Mark puts it, that she actually had even been to one of Christ's uh, um, appearances in the land of Israel. She heard about him. It's interesting also that she evidently heard that Jesus had come to the area. So she must have known he's up in our region. I don't know how that got passed on. Maybe they saw 12 men and, 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 uh, and one other person kind of leading them. Um, and they figured that might be Jesus. I don't know. But she did this. She sought Jesus out till she found him. So we see her persistence, first of all, in the fact that she could even find Jesus. He's trying not to be found. Let me ask you a second question. Why, why is she so persistent? Now, let's remind ourselves again about some of the obstacles she had already overcome. How about the fear of rejection? She's a Canaanite. He's a Jew. There's, there's known to be hostility between these two groups of people. Don't think, folks. Uh, many of our young people, and I know I'm, pr I'm probably not speaking to too many young people, um, but if you are and you've uh, been in, in school and you've been... Um, learning about U.S. history, and boy, it just seems like, well, we were, you know, racist against the um, African Americans, and we enslaved them, and can I just say this, that, that prejudice and slavery and evil goes down through human history in all cultures and societies. You, you, just, you just look, and I pray that whoever's teaching you history points that out. This is not a uniquely American thing. Now, did England get rid of slavery before we did? Yes, they did. But believe me, it's not a uniquely American problem. Matter of fact, thank God, we fought a war to end it. But this woman would have to, to overcome the fear of rejection to even show up. Also, what about the fear of embarrassment? How many of us really want to go out and say, my 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 child is severely demon-possessed. How many of us want to even admit that? How many of us want to fall out in the dirt in front of Jesus begging him for help? Not knowing if he's going to receive me or not. As a matter of fact, so far he'd ignored her and he'd also deprioritized her. Even before she fell down and worshipped him. She's not worried about rejection. She's overcome the fear of embarrassment. How about overcoming the unconcern of Jesus' followers? 
Could she not easily have told herself, well, if this is what Jesus' disciples are like, I don't need this. My, I can get help for my daughter for somebody else. Obviously, these guys aren't going to be any help to me. And then what about the seeming rejection of Christ himself? Ignoring her, deprioritizing her, insulting her. Could she not have said, okay, now I've been insulted. I, I've got to hang on to my self-respect. She gets up out of the dirt, maybe even spits at, at Christ and his disciples and walks away. But this woman did none of that. She did not give up. Why? Well, see if you agree with me on this. I believe that woman doesn't give up because of at least two things. Number one, she knew her daughter, that her, that her daughter's need was beyond human aid. Maybe she'd tried a number of things. I don't know. But she knows that Jesus really is her only hope. So this woman is, is, is absolutely determined to overcome whatever obstacles she's got to get over because the bottom line is there's nobody else that's going to help her daughter, and she knows it. And number two, I think you'll agree with me on this as well, she knew, knew Jesus could help her if he chose to. She believed that. She'd heard the stories. Now, she'd not been there, evidently, to see them. But she believed what she had heard. And she believed that Jesus, if he chose to do it, he could help her. Well, let's ask another question. One that I'm sure has been running through your mind if you've been listening. Why did Jesus treat her so roughly? Why would he do that? Why would he ignore her? Why would he deprioritize her, say, well, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of Israel. And then why would he even insult her, calling her a little dog? Well, I think some of you probably already have, have begun to figure it out, and that is he was testing her faith. That's part of it. He was, he was not, folks, unconcerned about what she's going through. He cared about what she was going through. That's why he came. He came to seek and to save the lost. But he's testing her faith. Let me, let me say something else. He's demonstrating her resolve. She is illustrating the kind of resolve that gets answers from God. And, and can I say his disciples, who lacked the compassion, needed to see this example. They needed to see how a person, if they are serious enough with God and really get a hold of God, can see God do wonderful things. Important things. Not give me a car. Not even give me the dream job I want. Not even give me the spouse I want. We're talking about things that are really going to matter in eternity. This girl needed deliverance. This daughter of, of, of the mom here. And the disciples needed to see the persistence that, that some people will have to get an answer from God. And can I say this? You say, why did Jesus deal with her so roughly? Because you and I needed to see her example too. This is an example that goes down through all time about what it's really like to get a hold of God and not to let anything stop you from doing so. Jesus was giving us an example. 
And you say, an example of what? Well, let me give you a few thoughts here. How about an example of how we bring a hopeless situation to God? You may have a loved one. Matter of fact, you may be like the girl. You may be in a situation where you feel your situation is hopeless. Can I tell you this? There is someone who can help you. That is Jesus Christ. He may not do what you want him to do, the way you want him to do it, but I will tell you, he can help you. He can help you in the most important areas of your life. To save your soul, to forgive your sin, whether anybody else sees it or not, God can make a change in your life. But let me also say that God can change other people's lives, your loved ones, your dear friends, people that you're concerned about. And she is an example of how we can bring a hopeless situation to God. She's also an example of how the situation often looks after we bring it to God. But let's be honest here. Have you ever prayed about something and, or, or even maybe shared it? Let's say you go to church and you share a burden with people around you. And quite honestly, it looks like the people of God don't even care. Well, this woman jumped that hurdle. She didn't let that stop her, did she? She didn't walk out and say, well, that's the way the disciples are. I'm done. Why? Because her need, she was so intense upon getting the answer to her prayer. She knew this was her daughter's hope, was Jesus and nobody else. Let's, well, how about when you pray? And you've prayed about something. Have you ever felt like God didn't care? Did you ever feel like, like I prayed about this and it was like, bong, it hit the ceiling and it went no farther. There's no answer from God. There's no change of the circumstance. It just seems like I prayed about this and I prayed about it and I prayed about it. As this woman came before Jesus repeatedly, would you please help me, Lord? Help me. My daughter's grievously um, uh, afflicted with a demonic spirit. And what does Jesus do? He ignores her. Is God not saying, hey, that's the way sometimes it's going to appear to you? Some people give up on prayer. They give up on service for God because they think that God didn't care about their efforts. I remember reading a story, and I believe it's true. <clears throat> There's a, a guy who was, um, I think it was in Chicago. He was um, in a, it was a bad rainstorm, and so he got kind of in a, a public area of shelter. Not, not very big. And uh, this is back years and years ago. I, I believe the story is back in the 1800s. And so he got under some shelter, and a guy in this storm shows, uh, shows up, and he just uh, threw a piece of paper into his hand. He said, take this and read it, and he walked out. And the guy's like, well, all right. <laughs> and what was that all about? Well, he, he, he had a piece of paper in his hand. It's, it's raining, and... I don't know um, if it was maybe when he got back to the house where he got some light or what happened, but he was able to read the thing that was handed to him. It was a gospel track. And the man was not a believer at the time, and as a result of reading that track, he came to know Christ as his Savior. And so he himself then um, decided that he would do the same, that if when he found individuals, he many times would give out gospel literature to try to help people come to know Christ. But one day, it was probably 20 years later, as the story went, 
and he came across the man. He handed him a tract. Said, "I hope you'll read this." And and the guy took looked looked at it, found that it was a gospel tract, and he said, "Oh, he says, he said I used to give out tracts like crazy." And he said, um, uh, "I gave up. I, I never saw any results from it." He said, "I you know I appreciate what you're trying to do, but it really doesn't do any good." And the man responded, and he said, well, that's not true. He said, actually, that's how I was saved. He said, um, I was in a bad rainstorm. He told him where it was at, under a, some shelter, and a guy just came and kind of rammed this thing in my hand. He said, I went and read it, and um, that's how I came to Christ. I, I understood the gospel. I, I prayed and accepted Christ as my Savior. My life has been changed. And the guy kind of looked at him dumbfounded. And he said, I was the guy that gave you the track. He said, that was the last one I gave out, ever. He said, I thought it was such a waste of my time because no one ever responded. He said, that was the last track I ever gave out. That's why I rammed it in your hand. I, I was so, I, I just figured I'd get rid of it and be done. You know, that man, man wasted 20 years of outreach for Christ because basically he got discouraged because it seemed like God was ignoring him, like God didn't care. And he was wrong. Isn't it true, though, that sometimes when we pray, it seems like, like not only God's people don't care, but the Lord doesn't care. And it seems like you're not going to get the answer. You're not going to be helped. Your loved one is not going to come to know Christ. But this woman's example, folks, that is recorded in two of our Gospels, is really used of God to this day to tell us that's not true. And so as Jesus is treating her roughly, yes, he's testing her faith, but he is demonstrating her resolve, not only to the disciples that are going to need that as they go out in their own ministry, but to you and I even to this day. This woman's resolve and her faith is a testimony down through the ages. And that's one of the reasons why I'm convinced Jesus is answering her so roughly. Let me give you another th thought. What did she mean by her answer? Or actually another question here. And let me, let me go back and, and, and read again. Jesus answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Now, what a statement that she, this, this woman makes in her desperation to see the answer to her prayer. What did this woman rightly see? Because Jesus is basically saying, you're a dog. <laughs> and what he means by that is you're unworthy of my help. Now, can I say this? That is true for every one of us, whether we realize it or not. It's not that we do God a favor by coming to know Christ. He does us a favor by dismissing all of our sins because Jesus laid down his lifeblood for us. And this woman gets it. She's saying, you're right, God, I am a dog. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of your help. And that's where every one of us are at. She sees her lack of standing. I don't have the right to uh, the standing of the disciples. I'm not one of the considered one of your people, although she definitely is. 
It's not like I'm coming before you because I deserve it. She's not coming to Jesus for help based upon her worthiness or her daughter's worthiness. Her daughter's demon-possessed. She's coming before Jesus based upon his character, the fact that she believes he will be merciful to her and to her daughter. And she was right. What does she mean by her answer when she says, even the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table? You know what she's saying? Jesus, I know I'm not worthy. I know I don't have any standing before you. It's not like I deserve standing. But I believe in your power. I believe that a crumb from your table will change my daughter's life. I believe you can just, it's not a big deal to you. It's a big deal to me. You can, you can overcome the demonic spirit in my daughter's life and heart and cast that out and, and you can do it with ease because of who you are. She's coming based upon her faith in Christ's power and the fact that I, she believed that Christ would be compassionate to her. And she was right. In Luke chapter 4, it's rather interesting. Jesus, it's his first recorded sermon. I've dealt with it in um, previous months in my a series on the messages of Christ. But what really made the people angry, they got so angry. This is his hometown, by the way. They got so angry in his hometown at the message that Jesus gave, they tried to kill him after this sermon. And what was it so controversial that Jesus said? Lest, by the way, you think that Jesus was some kind of a racist, he was not. He says this, I'm starting at verse 24 of Luke chapter 4. It says, Then he said, Assuredly I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when heaven was shut up three years and six months. And there was a great famine throughout all the land, but to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. By the way, it's the same region he's in now. This is months later. But this is a woman from that region, an outsider, non-Jewish, a Canaanite, and Jesus is saying, you know what? There were a lot of Israeli widows, a lot of Jewish widows, when Elijah uh, provided miraculously for uh, this widow's um, uh, uh, provision through a famine. And if you remember the story, Elijah showed up and he's in a foreign land. He's up where, kind of where Jesus is at now. And um, he's uh, been rejected really by the king of Israel and, and they're trying to hunt him down. And so he's up in this uh, Gentile region, like Jesus is, um, you know, hundreds of years later. And, and uh, he comes across a widow, and this widow is gathering some sticks because she's going to make a fire. She's got just enough food to feed herself and her, and her son one more time. And they're going to die of starvation after that. She has no more means of provision. And if you recall, Elijah the prophet comes up and he says, could you get me a drink of water? And here this woman is willing to turn around and go get him a drink of water. Now, now honestly, would most of us not say, hey, listen, pal, um, I, I've got bigger things on my mind. I've got, a, I've got a, a child that's about to die of starvation after this last meal. I'm about to die of starvation. Get your own water. I mean, honestly, many of us would think that. She doesn't. She turns around. She's going to help him. He says, I, while she's turning to go for the water, he says, hey, would you mind making me a little cake? And that's when she turns around and she says, all I've got is enough for a last meal for myself and my son. After that, we're going to die. Now, here's what the prophet said to her. He said, 
you go back and make a cake for me first. Because thus says the Lord, he's talking about the God of Israel. Now this woman is not in Israel. She's heard of the God of Israel. Because he says, thus says the God of Israel, your food, your, your meal and your oil will not waste away through the entire famine if you'll feed me first. Now, the woman's got a choice. Do you risk your very last meal on a prophet you didn't even know who he is? Simply because he's saying, the God of Israel says, I'll take care of you. That woman was willing to have that kind of faith in the Lord and say, yep, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make, if the God of Israel said he's going to feed me, I'm going to trust him on this. And she was right. And what Jesus is saying, he's saying that there are people, and he's pointing out Gentile people, so he's not a racist. There are Gentile people who will believe God more than you Jewish people. He's talking in a synagogue to his own hometown. And God will answer and honor their faith if they'll believe and you won't. He gave a second example. He gave an example of Naaman the Syrian. And Naaman the Syrian um, has a Jewish slave girl. He got her out of a, a battle. He took her as a, as a kind of a, um, what do you call it? spoils of, of, uh, of battle. And the little girl is uh, in, actually has, fall, has, has be, uh, really grown to love her master and his wife. And her master has a leprosy. And the little girl happens to mention to his wife, well, it's too bad he wasn't back in Israel the, the, where the prophet of God could deliver him of his leprosy. And boy, Mrs. Naaman heard that. She told her, her husband. Her husband, um, he, he says, you know what? I'm, it's, hey, it's worth a try. He goes to the king of Syria. says, would you write me a letter? Send me, uh, send it down to the king of Israel. And let's, let's see if God will heal me of my leprosy. King of Syria writes him a letter. Naaman goes down, hands it to the king of Israel. The king of Israel tears his clothes. He's, he's saying, am I God? How, who has ever been healed of leprosy? The prophet Elisha heard about this. He said, send him to me. Long story short, Elisha delivers him from the leprosy. And Jesus points that one out, that incident out as well. He says there were many lepers in Israel um, in the days of Elisha the prophet, and none of, to none of them was, was, was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. What's he saying? There wasn't a man in Israel that was willing to go to that kind of effort because he believed God would, would heal him. You know what we're seeing? We're seeing that the Lord is giving us an example not of his lack of concern for Gentile people, and I'm very thankful for that, for I'm a Gentile, but he's showing us, no, the bottom line is, I'm going to honor faith. And so now we see Jesus in a different light in verse 28. Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it unto you as you desire. He compliments her faith. He grants her request. Can you think of other examples in the scripture of this kind of faith? I can think of a couple of them. There's a, the, the man that comes to his friend at midnight and he knocks on his door and he says, I need some, some food. A, a guest has come. I don't have anything to set in front of him. And, and Jesus gives this as an example of prayer. He says that now the, the, the friend who's having his door knocked on by his, his neighbor, he goes, leave me alone. The door is shut. My children are with me in bed. I, I'm not, you know, maybe tomorrow. I'm not, not going to rise and give anything to you right now. 
Jesus says, because the guy wouldn't stop knocking, he finally gets up and gives him what he needs. Jesus says, that's the way you need to pray. There's also a parable of the unjust judge where a widow um, wants vengeance upon her enemy. And again, this is a parable. And the judge doesn't care about the widow. He doesn't care about justice. He's not interested. But because the woman won't stop pestering him. And that whole parable is about the fact that we need to pray and not give up. But let me also say that there is a good Savior in the fact that God really does care about your need. Oh, it may not look that way. God may let you struggle and twist in the wind a little bit as you're wondering. But may I remind you of Luke chapter 15, where Jesus told three stories about the compassion of God, the lost sheep. Remember how the shepherd went out and found that, that one sheep that was missing? There were 99 in the fold. That wasn't good enough. He wanted the one that was missing. And he went out and got him. And that's an illustration of the love of God for the lost. Then there was a lost coin. That coin was worth a day's wage. And a woman swept her house until she found that thing. And she rejoiced. And he said, that's the kind of rejoicing in the presence of the angels. And who's in the presence of the angels? God himself. God rejoices over the lost coming to Christ. And then there was the prodigal son. Same chapter. The lost son. And the father who pictures God the father runs to meet his son when the lost son is returning. Oh, God does want to deliver. So let's draw some conclusions quickly. First of all, this mother put aside all to seek Christ's help because her daughter needed rescued. And, because, and, and she, despite any troubling obstacles, she overcame them. Why? Because she believed that only Christ could help her. And let me challenge you as we close to trust God and to hang on to God for rescue. Remember that God can rescue too. He can rescue you. He can rescue your loved ones. And hang on to God for those answers. Because the bottom line is this. The rescue of a soul is worth every bit of tenacity that's within you. May God bless you. Let me speak directly to you who either have a great spiritual need in your life or a burden to see God deliver someone you love from a life of sin. Remember that even when God's people let you down or when the Lord seems to ignore your prayers, even when you're tempted to think that you're not important enough to be heard by God or you feel that the Lord has insulted you by giving you exactly the opposite of what you asked, hang on to God in prayer. Where else can you go? If you would like some spiritual help, like counseling or prayer, you can email us at help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Calkins is spelled C-A-L-K-I-N-S. Again, that email address is help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. If you'd like to listen to this message again or send it to a friend, the link to this podcast is at RadioBold.com slash CalkinsBaptist. As we leave you today, we pray that this broadcast has been a beacon of hope in your life to point you to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May God's richest blessings come upon you. Thanks for listening. For me, me, he died, for me, he lives, and everlasting life and light, he frees.